The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Let's Get Radical is brought to you by Avalara, sales tax automation for businesses of all sizes. Visit us on the web at avalara.com. That's A-V-A-L-A-R-A.com. Welcome to the business show that will change the way you look at your business practice, your organization, and yourself. This is Let's Get Radical with Liz Gold and Jody Paydar. On today's show, you'll get the straight scoop on what it means to be radical and how it can help you become the next success story. Now, here are your hosts, Jody and Liz. Hey, Liz, are you ready? Jody, I'm totally ready. Let's get radical. So, excited for today and our show? Oh, totally, because we're speaking to an entrepreneur. Yeah, we love talking to entrepreneurs, freelancers, creative. Um, and our guest today is Declan Zimmerman. And uh, he has had a visual storytelling career spanning 25 years. He's the founder of Perpetual Motion Graphics in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and he's created work for leading brands as well as titles and visual effects for fe- feature films. Um, he does strategic consulting, creative direction, project management, design, and animation. He teaches um, the next generation of animators at NYU Tisch School of the Arts. And he's previously directed theater, independent film, and even live TV at a home shopping network. Wait, so welcome to the show, Declan. Thank you. Thank you, Liz and Jody. So I, I got to ask you, what was it like to direct live TV at a home shopping Network. I saw that. I was like, "Wow, that's really cool." What What was that like? It was It was surprisingly fun. It was where I got my start. Like I was out of college and I had no idea how you get into production at the time. I was just like, "I want to be a filmmaker," and I got a job running a camera at this network. And I eventually moved up the chain to where I was directing. Um, and it was on the graveyard shift. And back then. Nobody really cared much what was going on because they weren't selling much. So we were a bunch of ex-theater nerds, and we would just do weird stuff on the air. <laughs> oh, wow. That so, sounds um, fun. So, so <laughs> it, I would say, actually, it was, it was lots of boredom that you would expect, punctuated by moments of fun. And, okay. But it was also, for me, very exciting because I was fresh out of school, and I was pretty young, and I was directing TV. Even though it was yeah. home shopping TV, I was like, I'm directing, you know. Yeah. And I mean, you've done a variety of things uh, in your career. And so, so what I'm, but right now you're doing perpetual motion graphics. Um, and can you tell us a little bit about that and what you actually do for clients? Sure. Uh, the name perpetual motion graphics, aside from the sort of pun with it, came with the notion of looping animations, which we're seeing more and more looping animations, but I was moving into designing event spaces uh, for, I don't know if you're familiar with Quartz, QZ.com, but I did a bunch of graphics Mm -hmm. for their event spaces, and a lot of those had to play throughout the day, so they had to be seamless loops where interesting things happened, and we were also playing in the space of 
creating something that was repetitious but didn't feel repetitious, had enough variety in it. So uh, working in that space more and more, I came up with the name Perpetual Motion Graphics because they were perpetual motion and, and also motion graphics. And uh, that's what, that's one of, one of the things we do, although a, a, lot of, a lot of other videos, as you mentioned, you know, more and more film work, uh, you know, just titles and those kinds of things as well. And how long have you actually been in business? And and we talk about, I mean, earlier I said a bunch of the different things that you do, creative direction, strategic consulting, project management. Um, you know, how do you find your clients? Because I know you work with some high-profile brands. How do you find your clients and how do you sort of nail that work? I, I wish I had a better answer than... I was just talking to a friend last night about networking and how it always seems random. I know it's not random. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you, I met somebody in a rooftop barbecue and handed them my card, and two days later was on a four-project run that took me a year. At the same time, that rooftop barbecue was full of people kind of in the world. I mean, it wasn't a networking thing per se. It was just at a friend's house. And mm-hmm. at the same time, I had the reel and the website and, and the story. I was listening to your storytelling episode a couple episodes ago, the story to back that up. So, and, and it aligned with their need. Um, and boom, I was working. So, but I don't know any more than, you know, what, what I'm offering has to align with a client's need. And that seems, and, and then there ha- often is a personal connection, friend of a friend. Somehow you meet in a context where you're more than just, you know, something they found on the internet. Uh, as much as, as much as put in, is put into, you know, blogging and social media and all these things, the vast majority of my work still comes from a personal connection, a recommendation from somebody I've worked with. That's still, still most of it. Well, and I think, too, what's neat about, like, what you do is you actually have a sample to show, right? So if you meet someone and, you know, it, it works out well at, you know, at a party or a backyard barbecue or wherever you're talking – and then they like you because people always do business with people that they like, but then they go onto the internet or whatever, and they can actually see samples of your work. And then they're like, oh yeah, not only is he a cool guy, he does cool stuff. Yeah. Whereas, I, I think, I think, go ahead. Sorry. No, whereas not all professionals have that opportunity to, to showcase um, exactly what they do. Right. Yeah. It is both. Uh, it, it's great. It's also, I, I won't call it a burden, but I've put a tremendous amount, when we redesign our website, we put a tremendous amount into thinking about the design and thinking about what it communicates because if you're selling yourself as somebody who communicates through design, your your site and your materials better step up that, to that. The, like, mm-hmm. the, the whole presentation is an example of your work. So, so, on, so right. on the one hand, if you're doing something else, like somebody can say, okay, it's a poorly designed site, but they might be fantastic at legal consulting. But our design's got to be top notch. Right. I feel the same way about hairdressers. You know, if I go to somebody, if I get my hair cut somewhere and the person who's cutting my hair does not have a style that I really like, or I will be like, yeah, I don't think I can really get my hair cut from this person. I, I, I mean, maybe that's not exactly the same thing, but I, I think it's, it is partly like, you know, you really have to, um, if you're There's selling a big expectation, there. yeah, I mean, if you're mm-hmm. marketing yourself as a design person or a writer, your, your product has to be on point. You have to be able to illustrate that. Um, so, I mean, what, what kind of projects for, you know, for people who may not be so familiar with your work and you've worked on the trans list, you've worked, 
obviously with big brands, but what are some of the um, projects that you've done over the years? And, and I guess this is a two-pronged question here. How would you describe your style graphically and design-wise? Ah, uh, <laughs> I'll jump to that. I, I, I want to back up for a second, though, to something yeah. you mentioned about people meet you and they like you. And I think that this is under... Not, I think it's under what it's underrepresented in when mm-hmm. people are talking about how to find work and what lands you work. One of my very first freelance jobs, I had just moved to not first. I'd been working in a smaller market. I had just moved to Los Angeles, and I was new and I was green and I was shaky in the room and I didn't know what I was doing. And at some point, like halfway through the evening, I felt like it was going badly, and I turned to the client and said, "How am I compared to the person you usually work with, who was six that day or whatever?" So I got an opportunity, and they said, "You're not as fast as him, but he's a jerk, and we <laughs> like working with you." Wow, that's great feedback. And so, yeah, but but it, it's it's really yeah. important. We all want to work with people we like, and but right. of course we don't want to work with somebody we like who can't deliver the solution to our problem, whatever our need is. So so you're right that it's that two pronged thing where. And I think that's why it comes out of a personal connection where somebody likes you and then your material supports that you can deliver what they need. Um, yes. So I wanted yeah. to back up to that. Moving forward to, um, I, I've done a couple of, I really enjoy doing feature titles. There was uh, The Congressman, which is uh, Treat Williams, who was a star in the couple decades ago, hasn't been doing as much lately, but he plays an aging congressman, an aging kind of jaded congressman who through the incidents of the story kind of reconnects with the meaning of what got him into politics in the first place. And it had a, it, it, the, the, the title sequence threw back to his years in the 60s. And so um, we got to explore kind of retro 60s title design mm-hmm. and, and also working with, uh, it was an independent film, so the budget wasn't all that great. So um, a lot, so some of the challenge, the challenge is always in the real world. So it's what can we do that's elegant simple, doesn't require a tremendous amount of sort of heavy lifting in terms of time-consuming creation of graphics, but doesn't look like, looks like that was what it was supposed to be all along, whether you had, you know, $10,000 or a million dollars. So I realize that doesn't, I don't, visual style, um, I like things, you know, I, I have a Tumblr blog at Perpetual Motion Graphics, and right now I've been making a lot of loops that are like sort of little mechanical machines and geometric loops. And I guess I really like, I like clean lined things. I like repetitious patterns that echo through time. Um, I'm, mm-hmm. It's very hard to, you know, is it like dancing about architecture? It's hard to talk about visuals. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's yeah. my stab at it. So, I mean, what are clients hiring you to do? What would you say a majority of your time uh, is spent doing? It's really... By now, my time is quite divided across the spectrum, and mm-hmm. I enjoy the variety. I, the simplest thing is I would say clients are, providing, are hiring me to provide solutions, and those exist. One, one client who, who I guess I, I, their contract specifies I can't mention, so I won't, but it's, it's, it's a big name you've heard of, and I do a bunch of these videos all in the same style for them, and I've done so many that everything from finding the the right music cut to helping them organize their content to the, you know, the market, the copy that the marketing marketing department kind of threw out there doesn't really sing yet. So, so Mm -hmm. everything from kind of 
shaping the content and figuring out how to turn this, here's all the stuff that goes in it, into the story that they want to tell, um, to then the visuals that support that, to designing the animation. I think because I came up from vendor, from motion graphics, from animator and designer and editor, I've done all of those things. So I have an ability to look at it through all of those perspectives. And at the same time, like back when my, my father thought film school would be a terrible idea, I ended up with an English degree from a liberal arts college. So I have sort of a writing background and a mm-hmm. content shaping background. So I think my biggest asset to clients is that on all of these levels, I've worked and I can kind of bring all of this, this entire tool set to the job of figuring out what they need and delivering a good solution to that. Uh, and that reminds me, because you have you use a term called creative cross-pollination, which I think is something we can get into in the next segment, which is, you know, taking all those tangential trips of what it is you actually truly enjoy and watch your other skills improve and enhance because of it, you know. So let's take a, a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue talking with uh, Declan Zimmerman of Perpetual Motion Graphics. Stay tuned. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Advance and evolve. Liz Gold, owner of Rhino Girl Media, provides a wide range of services to those looking to get their message out into the world. Her specialty is simplifying the complex, finding the juice in any story, and helping people find their voice. Rhino Girl Media is a communications and media company that promotes the innovative and creative work of business people, independent artists, and nonprofit organizations. For writing, editing, blog posts, web content, press releases, branded content, and consulting, visit rhinogirlmedia.com. Are you a small business ready to work remotely with a CPA who is passionate and radical? New Vision CPA Group is a firm that understands the latest cloud technologies and will work with you for a fixed monthly price. We understand that tax and accounting are important, but the everyday insight into your financial data that helps you make critical financial decisions is priceless. We're with you every step of the way at New Vision CPA Group. Visit newvisioncpagroup.com today for more information. Tax compliance can be a pain for businesses, but Avalara's powerful tax automation technology simplifies sales tax and other business taxes with real-time tax calculation and automatic return filing. It's simple to get started because Avalara works inside your accounting, e-commerce, and point-of-sale systems. That's why thousands of the world's best businesses outsource their tax compliance with Avalara. Shouldn't you too? Learn more at avalara.com. That's A-V-A-L-A-R-A.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Let's Get Radical with Jody Paydar and Liz Gold. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-790. 
You may also send an email to Jody and Liz at letsgetradical.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Let's Get Radical. I'm Liz Gold, and I'm here with Jody Padar. And our guest today is Declan Zimmerman. He's an old friend of mine from Brooklyn, New York, and he runs Perpetual Motion Graphics. And he does a variety of things for clients. And he's had a very, um, what he calls an unconventional and maybe even crazy career path. But he he also really likes to use the term uh, creative cross-pollination when he talks about you know, his business and his career. And so I, I kind of, Declan, I have to ask, you know, what is that? And can you explain it to people? Because I'm sure some people already know, you know, are already doing it. But how does it really, and how has it ha- enhanced your career and your business? And how will it enhance other people's businesses? Well, I think I think I first became aware of it. Um, like, uh, as I kind of said, I started at a home shopping network. I didn't know anything about how to get into the business. Some people come with more knowledge, and it didn't come from any kind of knowledge. And I was just working. Editing seemed cool, and I became a video editor. And editing has a lot to do with rhythm, you know, quick and then slow, and then it has a lot to do with expectation and where you fulfill expectation and where you surprise people. And along the way... Oh, I'd already kind of been playing in bands and been doing music, and people would, I was editing, and people would say, do you play, they find out I play music, and they would say, musicians always make the best editors. That's the first time I noticed it, and thought hmm. about the connection between when you write songs and the way, you know, where you go to what part, and how you've got to delight people by both fulfilling what they're expecting to see and having making sense to them, and also surprising them at the right time so they're not bored. And so that was the first time I noticed mm-hmm. it. And yeah, I think that, yeah, then, go on. Go, go for it. <laughs> okay, but I'll try to pause so you jump in with comments and we'll have a conversation. Uh, the next thing, then I was uh, I was directing and I was taking, I started to take Meisner technique acting classes because those were my best actors were Meisner trained. And that is very much about getting on stage and learning to be present and observe what's going on between you and the other person. And I took those classes to become a better director of actors. I stayed in those classes because the things that I was blocked at observing were the things that I avoided when I was writing. And then a couple of years later, when I cycled back into music and I was performing on stage, I suddenly found what I'd learned in the acting classes I took for directing, making sense, like like I was using it consciously when I was getting up in front of people and performing with a acoustic guitar in front of a, a room full of people. And I began to think about that in my younger life, I felt very like you have to direct. You have to pick this one thing and go for it and don't get distracted. Mm-hmm. These other things are going to distract you from it. And I'd gotten a little bit sidetracked and like, not sidetracked, but I was, I'd gotten a little burned out on some of the things I was pushing against that weren't happening. And so I started just doing some things that I, I sort of, there was a great phrase I read in the book once that ride the horse in the direction it's going. I started doing mm-hmm. this. As opportunities came up, I started doing those things. And I discovered that what I'd learned in one area bled into the other area. And it, and, and as my career has evolved, I've now, and then I, at one point I called it creative cross-pollination. That was the word I put on what happens when you think this is a side journey, but you discover that what you learned in the side journey makes you unique in where you are now and what you have to offer and what you bring to the table now. Yeah, I love that. I love that quote going in the direction that the horse is what is it again? Going in the 
Ride Can you say it again? Ride the horse in the direction that it's going. Yeah, I think that's really brilliant. And I mean, you know, I think it's also um, it, it really speaks to like how present you are, you know, and because I think that sometimes people continuously plug along in, in something that may not be working or may be stagnant. And, you know, there's this mentality that you just sort of have to stay in it and just like, you know, push through. And I think that exploring other avenues definitely releases energy and can help you find your way back. And, and really, if you're meant to go back at all, I mean, you want to follow the horse, right? So I think that's really, I think that's really great. Um, Well, and I think, I think the other side of it is, is when you look at intelligence and the ability to make connections, and now you're taking different areas of how you um, create and you're using it to make more connections, I would think that that would make you a more quote unquote intelligent designer, right? Because now you've used all these connections to make your work pop that much more. Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, and I'm not, I'm not, this is not down on design school. There was a time when I felt very, and I went back to School of Visual Arts and I took a bunch of design classes because I felt like I'm missing the formal education in visual and the history of graphic design. And there's value in knowing all of those things. But ultimately, you've also got to say, what is this communicating? Two, class, two, two questions that were asked in that acting class when we went into a scene with another actor was, what do you want them to feel? Or how do you want mm-hmm. them to feel? And what do you want them to do? And that was straight out of, like, Meisner technique, acting. And nowadays, I, I ask a client, who's the audience for this project? You know, mm-hmm. What do you want them to feel? What do you want them to do? And it's the same thing. So it's, mm-hmm. so it's more than, you know, what, what drives the visual, the visual design? And there's a lot more written about that these days in design thinking in a broader way. But it's that design is always subservient to a goal. And if you don't know what the goal is, you don't know mm-hmm. what's dictating how you should design. It's not just what looks cool. It's what gets you to that goal. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the same thing is is about writing. You know, if I'm writing web copy for a company, it's like I need to know what's the goal behind this copy. What are you trying to what what is the emotion you want to evoke? What is when your clients are if I'm doing it for an accounting firm, just let's say if you're if you're, you know, are your client what's the mindset of your clients when they are coming to you um, with their pain point and how are they going to read themselves on this page, you know, so it's like, Mm -hmm. it's questions like that, that I think, um, you have to get to the emotionality of it, you know? Um, yeah. So very cool. And I also think, you know, I also, um, one thing that, you know, you sent us, um, in terms of what you also do is that you only say yes to what's worthy. And I think that that is, um, I'm actually reading a book about that called Essentialism by Greg McKeon. And he talks all about how you have to say no to all of the projects that are really not your priority um, and say yes to the things that are, <laughs> you know, like the bigger picture, you know, and how do you, how are, how are you going to feed that? Um, and, and so how did you, how do you do that? Cause I know for a lot of freelancers, um, it's hard to say no to work, you know, it's hard to say no to money when you have bills to pay. Um, but 
it's also important to learn how to say no. Otherwise, you're just taking projects on for the money. And ultimately, you know, that could make you feel resentful. It can make you hate the work. It could make you and it's not really allowing you to focus on what it is you want to be focusing on. So, I mean, how do you how did you come to terms with that? Yeah, first of all, just to reiterate what you say, I think one of the things I was thinking about that is every time you say yes to something, you're potentially shutting out something else. So you say yes to the right. safe job that's going to pay your bills, and then the more interesting thing comes in, and you can't take it because you, right. you're busy with this other thing. So, so, so no create space to do that. Um, mm-hmm. But everybody's got financial reality. Everybody's got their comfort zone right. with financial reality. And my comfort zone is more uh, – I, I had a friend once who lives very uh, like surfing. <laughs> like she, she lives very mm-hmm. moment-to-moment, like event-to-event. And, she, and, and at one point she was saying, I ran out of money, so I you know, went and took this job. And I said to her, when you, run, when you say ran out of money, do you mean completely out of money? And she said, yeah, what else would that mean? And for right. me, ran out of money means I've got some money in – IRAs that I could take out, but I would be penalized. Like there's money. Like I'm, I'm very far from on the street, but I have a different sense of what makes me feel insecure. And so, right. way back in what seems now like this tremendously lush time, like I sort of came of age freelancing in the '90s, and the '90s now looks so halcyon from here. It was like people would say freelancing is insecure, and I'm sure I was successful and good at what I was doing. But work, there came a point where I realized that work just flowed my way. And that I mm-hmm. had, that I no longer needed to fear saying no to something. Because if I said no to something, something else would flow my way. Mm-hmm. So the first time I car- consciously did that, I carved out space in my schedule to make a short film, which was an ambition at the time. And I basically figured out what my comfort zones were. My comfort zones were a certain amount of money in the bank, which you know, which I measure in months at my living expenses. Of that. Mm-hmm. And that is, if the market shifts. How many months am I comfortable with to find new clients, shift my focus, you know, get this thing back on its feet again? If if there's a crisis or a shift in my workplace or the economy in general, so I keep um, so part of that is keeping that pad in the in the bank, and that goes that goes up and down. But I monthly check in and see where that is, and then from there I calculated how much at what I was earning I needed, and then I sort of saw how much I had to play with, how much I could take. Uh, which I could devote to a personal priority that I thought would creatively take me to the next place, or how much I could devote to more labor of love projects that had lower budgets, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, which brings us to another thing which I mentioned in, in the kind of the questions we were saying, which is I used to have this very black and white. I think all of us moved from younger black and white to older, more nuanced. It's a natural flow. And it was like you're, you're commercial or you're selling out. You know, I mean, you're selling out or you're doing, like, pure right. creative work. That you right, do. And, right. And now, uh, you know, I'm familiar with investing, and at one point I began to look at projects as an investment portfolio. You have your safer investments and your riskier investments, and you have mm-hmm. your projects you take for less money because they're more personally satisfying or because you want that on your reel. And you have the ones that you know will pay the bills this month or put, and pay the bills and put some extra money in the bank for the next time you want to invest in something riskier that might take you further. And so I look at, and my client base also, is having that variety of things that are all kind of going at once to keep the, the biggest picture of the machine moving forward. But within that, 
also be allocating time to the growth of, I don't know if it's a machine, but the, the organization. Yeah, no, I, I love mean. that. I really, I love that analogy because I, I think from the accountant in me, that makes a lot of sense. And I don't think most entrepreneurs see it as that way. They, I think a lot of them still look at it as kind of all or nothing. And I really like the way you said, you know, kind of as you age, you realize that there's more gray and it's not just black and white. It's nuanced. So we're, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to continue talking to Declan. And, and something that I really want to dig into is how do you go from a freelancer mentality to a more agency-oriented mentality? So stay tuned. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Tax compliance can be a pain for businesses, but Avalara's powerful tax automation technology simplifies sales tax and other business taxes with real-time tax calculation and automatic return filing. It's simple to get started because Avalara works inside your accounting, e-commerce, and point-of-sale systems. That's why thousands of the world's best businesses outsource their tax compliance with Avalara. Shouldn't you too? Learn more at avalara.com. That's A-V-A-L-A-R-A.com. Advance and evolve. Liz Gold, owner of Rhino Girl Media, provides a wide range of services to those looking to get their message out into the world. Her specialty is simplifying the complex, finding the juice in any story, and helping people find their voice. Rhino Girl Media is a communications and media company that promotes the innovative and creative work of business people, independent artists, and nonprofit organizations. For writing, editing, blog posts, web content, press releases, branded content, and consulting, visit rhinogirlmedia.com. Are you a small business ready to work remotely with a CPA who is passionate and radical? New Vision CPA Group is a firm that understands the latest cloud technologies and will work with you for a fixed monthly price. We understand that tax and accounting are important, but the everyday insight into your financial data that helps you make critical financial decisions is priceless. We're with you every step of the way at New Vision CPA Group. Visit newvisioncpagroup.com today for more information. You are listening to Let's Get Radical with Jody Paydar and Liz Gold. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-790. You may also send an email to Jody and Liz at letsgetradical.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. I'm Jody Paydar, and I'm here with Liz Gold, and you are listening to Let's Get Radical. And today we are here with Declan Zimmerman of Perpetual Motion Graphics. And um, he's a business owner, so I'm excited to dive into his financial underwear drawer and find out more about his business. But first, we do have to give a quick shout out to Intuit um, and QuickBooks Online for sponsoring our show. So Declan, I guess my question is, is how long have you actually um, been a small business owner? And what was it like um, when you first started in year one versus where you are today? Okay. I don't know if there if there was a year one, I, you know, speaking of gray areas, I think, I think it's been a, a shifting. But the biggest shift that I was aware of happened, I mean, I've been sole proprietor. I should say this. Uh, I think you asked earlier on about freelance and getting clients and that kind of thing. 
I've only had staff salary W-2 type jobs, I think about five or six years of my adult life. Like out of that first job, all the cool people in the lighting department were freelance. I didn't know what it was, but it sounded cool. And all the cool people seemed to be freelancing. So I just kind of jumped into that and started, you know, working, you know, that was an hourly rate as an editor. Um, but it was, it was schedule C sole proprietorship. Yeah. From, 1099s, right? All of a sudden yeah. you got a 1099. 1099. Like, oh my God. What do I yep. do with a 1099? <laughs> Good times. Okay. <laughs> so, so, so that's in a sense that that happened so long ago. I can't, you know, and, and back then I might've had a guy who did my taxes for 60 bucks in, in Minneapolis, but I, I used, I used, and this is not because I like, I used TurboTax for years. Uh, now I have an accountant. Um, but, uh, I just, wait, 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 I'm, I'm now getting, how is it structured? Oh, the big, I was going to say the big, the big shift is when I moved cross country, I was out in Los Angeles for a long time and I had one major kind of permalance client. Do you know that, use that term? Permalance, so like comes in anchor client? And, yeah, oh. anchor client. Well, I've, I've yeah. been for about three years. They've been just hiring me and renewing my contract so that I kind of went to work there most days, and that was that. And then when I, when I moved to, to the East Coast, uh, I walked in and said, bad news, I'm moving to the East Coast. And they basically said, well, can we keep hiring you to do this? And so I moved out here with the notion of setting up a studio, you know, a, a studio in the apartment. And that was when budgets moved from hourly to here's the budget for the whole project. You have to, or here's the budget where I was splitting it at that time with one other person who had mm-hmm. used to work there and was now in Amsterdam. And so we would split these up and, and it would basically like, that was the beginning of you're responsible for solution to this problem at this price point. Um, and so that's, that's kind of, I think that's the first shift from, vendor to agency, you know, uh, oh, oh, wait, I'm sorry. I'm getting scattered here. No, that's no, fine. No, what did you want totally to know? makes sense to me because what, what happened was, is for all intents purposes, they were kind of hiring you by the hour per se. Right. And then all of a sudden they said, no, mm-hmm. like you're just going to deliver on this project and we don't care how many hours it takes or whatever. And this Flat is our- right. Fixed fee. And you yeah, have talked to me about, me you know, up. moving from sort of a freelancer uh, position to more of an agency sort of mindset. So, um, you know, maybe you can talk to us about how that has happened for you. And so, and what, what do you define as agency and how are you making that happen? I would say I, I define it as, you know, uh, a, a vendor is, is a set of hands that somebody hires to do something because they have a specific skill set and they're mm-hmm. managing the process and saying, okay, we need you to animate it. We need you to edit. Uh, an agency provides creative solutions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Somebody comes and, and like at the first level when somebody comes to me and says, just recently there was another, it's a feature documentary. And, and then the conversation starts with, we'll take a look at it. Uh, like, what, what, what does it need? You know, and I'm bringing my expertise of here are the things you could do and here are the different price points that those are at. And we also very much have a discussion of what's the value of these different solutions and what's the best match uh, for, you know, what, what the client is spending and what they need. So, so it's, it's just the conversation happens on that level. And I suppose that's, that's one of the biggest shifts. And the other shift is in terms of, 
a lot of times it's me. I, I, I switch between me and we a lot these days because I also, I kind of work with a team in the, in the in-between of somebody else who had kind of a fledgling agency being formed and got used to the idea of when projects stack up too big, we hire on freelancers and we, we hire more hands to do things. And sometimes those hands are doing, if things are slower, I could do those things. And sometimes I'm running multiple projects at once now and then distributing the work to additional people. So it's a different mindset where it shifts into management, it shifts into a conversation about the value and the creative solution as a, you know, solution that we're selling rather than... Right. So do just, you consider just, yourself now as like a solopreneur or do you consider yourself as a small business, kind of like an agency? Or where do you think you fit on the timeline today? I think... Somewhere between solopreneur and agency, but uh, I don't necessarily define it. Mm-hmm. it also, so it I, also have, yeah, I have a question yeah. about the um, like the more granular stuff about an agency because you know, do you what? Because what happens if you have a client and they need the services that you don't provide? Do you have a list of creative people that you outsource? And and if that's the case, how do you sort of manage the project and price that out? Okay. Asking for a friend. Yeah. Asking for a friend. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I'm I'm very interested in this for my own. Uh, the, related to the saying no conversation, is mm-hmm. it's been a tough one to uh, to shift to being a specialist and saying I'm going to only say yes to what I can do well and what the people I work with can do well. And uh, a friend, uh, another freelancer and I started a conversation about two years ago about sort of that kind of like understanding where your value is in the market- marketplace and where it isn't. And one of the things was that creatives tend to say, oh, I can do that or I can do that or I'll learn that. Um, and partly because it's fun to learn. As you can tell, I've done a bunch of different things and I like to do a bunch of different things. And but that trades master of one is very much uh, a master of none, excuse me, is very much a perception and that you have a lot of respect when you walk into a store and they say, we well, know this isn't really what we sell, uh, try this place down the street. So mm-hmm. I have finally gotten better and it's related to saying no, it's saying this isn't, this project isn't a match for us. I'm a little careful about I've gotten, not burned exactly, but I've, I'm very careful if I pass something off. But if you pass something off, something off to someone you know, you've got to really trust them because the client, you might just lose that line of business. Like if you're just mm-hmm. too busy and you pass it off to someone else, you might just hire you like, great, then they're the ones they hire. So, um, but I also not, like just, just, there was a time when I was like, I'll say yes to everything. And I'll just, I have a pool of freelancers and it's ever growing and we'll just plug them in. And it's like, no, I don't want to do certain kinds of projects and certain kind of projects. I'm not as experienced at or as efficient at. So better to say, no, those aren't a match. And do you like the actual management piece or do you like to be technical and in the weeds? I, for, I think I stayed solo as long as I did because I was, was convinced that I always wanted to be in the weeds. Um, but, Recently, management, I think it started, you know, it was around 2009 and 10 when I was working with the group for the first time, and I began to become invested in what it meant to manage well and how, what it meant to direct artists. 
and, and also began to realize that some of the things that I've been doing for 20 years, like, they're still fun to do. I still like making stuff. But, yeah, I could kind of make this stuff in my sleep. And, and it's more efficient for the business to hire somebody younger, less expensive, uh, who can also make this stuff. And for who it's an opportunity and that it's more exciting. So shifting towards that. You know, I'm definitely definitely like making stuff, but it's shifting now towards I see the value of managing, running a team, and the fun of, of hiring artists who bring things. So it's not just my style and what I would come up with. And how do you find the artist, you know, or the creative people to sort of bring on to take on those kinds of projects? Um, because it's not just you're like you're referring them out. You're actually managing the project and hiring them as sort of an out, you know, you're outsourcing. You're like an extension of your company, right? So how do you find mm-hmm. them? I mean, creatives are everywhere, right? But how do you how do you actually find them and vet them and, and bring them in? And we have two minutes before break. So <laughs> I guess it would have to be the condensed version of the answer. But Condensed version. Um, uh, I, will, I will say... Uh, Net, the networking things typically have not found me clients, but they found me employees. Because if I go mm. to events where there's other people who do motion graphics, I've hired out of those events. So that's one place. I've asked other mm. professionals I know who do slightly different things, like make videos and hire motion graphics people for recommendations. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, w- I want to say one more thing on that, but I don't. But it might be long answerish. So go ahead. Um, Just well, go ahead. Okay. Well, I, like there was a time when it's easy to reach for the comfortable people you've worked with before. And I've also finally made, start to make it a practice where I deliberately stretch and try new people so that I have a larger pool and I know what they're each good at and I can better match the people to the project. And that's, that's another little bit of risk and investment because you're like, okay, this person's comfortable. I know they can do it, but I'm going to try this new person and develop a rapport with them. So I'm often now investing in expanding that freelance pool because I think it makes the business stronger. Okay. I, I would love to dig into this, but we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. So stay tuned. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. Advance and evolve. Liz Gold, owner of Rhino Girl Media, provides a wide range of services to those looking to get their message out into the world. Her specialty is simplifying the complex, finding the juice in any story, and helping people find their voice. Rhino Girl Media is a communications and media company that promotes the innovative and creative work of business people, independent artists, and nonprofit organizations. For writing, editing, blog posts, web content, press releases, branded content, and consulting, visit rhinogirlmedia.com. Are you a small business ready to work remotely with a CPA who is passionate and radical? New Vision CPA Group is a firm that understands the latest cloud technologies and will work with you for a fixed monthly price. We understand that tax and accounting are important, but the everyday insight into your financial data that helps you make critical financial decisions is priceless. We're with you every step of the way at New Vision CPA Group. Visit newvisioncpagroup.com today for more information. Tax compliance can be a pain for businesses, but Avalara's powerful tax automation technology simplifies sales tax and other business taxes with real-time tax calculation and automatic return filing. 
It's simple to get started because Avalara works inside your accounting, e-commerce, and point-of-sale systems. That's why thousands of the world's best businesses outsource their tax compliance with Avalara. Shouldn't you too? Learn more at avalara.com. That's A-V-A-L-A-R-A.com. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Let's Get Radical with Jody Paydar and Liz Gold. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-790. You may also send an email to Jody and Liz at letsgetradical.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Let's Get Radical. I'm Liz Gold, and I'm here with Jody Paydar. And our guest today is Declan Zimmerman. He is the founder of Perpetual Motion Graphics. And we've been having a really interesting conversation about freelancing and the move to agency um, and the mindset that goes along with that. And I just want to dig in a little bit to that. And, you know, when you bring a creative on, Declan, you know, how do you contract that and how do you price it out? So obviously you're, the creative is getting paid, you're making some money, and the customer is happy. Like how do you sort of massage that whole situation? I mean, I suppose the place that has to start is how do you bid a job? Because, you know, like, so, so there are some clients that I've worked with so much that we've done the same kind of project where they come and say, this one, you know, the budget is X, and I know that's about right. But a lot of times there's the scoping out new business, and that's a, that's a whole other art form of, like, that people tend to think it's just about production costs, and it is so much about trying to look for clues what the process with that client is going to be like. Um, and so that's, that would be a whole other conversation, but that's been probably the biggest thing to learn is figuring out what price you come in at and how you define the scope of the job. Once so we set, call that I the PETA have, factor. The what? What you just called. So, so what you just called kind of what defining what it's like to work with the client. So in, in my world, we call it the PETA factor, the pain in the butt factor. Oh, sure. Or substitute butt for something else, but we're not going to say it on the show. But yes. Right. Um, I got So that so that makes sense, Declan. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. But it's not just the pain in the butt factor. It's, it's the, um, like, there, there, there's the pain in the butt thing, but there's I more and more understand, um, and there's a really good job, a really good book called Design is a Job by Mike Montero. They, they're a web design firm out in San Francisco uh, where he talks about, a lot about the client's always coming from somewhere. And even when they're giving us design notes that seem to inhibit the process, there's always a need behind that. There's always a concern behind that. And so there's trying to understand, you know, where is this going to play? What's the value to the client? How high level or stakeholders are going to be involved and what are they? So, there, so it, it, it's, you know, you can call it the PETA factor, but it's not, it's not putting anything negative on them. It's, it's like how many voices, how many cooks are going to be directing this? Where are they going to be coming from? What 
what problems in the process of creating this are we going to have to address, and how is that going to affect the overall, mm-hmm. you know, revisions and whatever? Because you can scope a certain number of revisions. You can be very granular about that, which I used to be more. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you specified. It matters if the client is happy and feels like you worked with them and solved their problem. And so you're trying to put a number on what it will take for everybody to be happy at the end, you know, for us to get paid well enough and for the clients to be happy with the value of what they receive for that. And if I've done that correctly, I have enough in the budget to hire animators at their day, at their hourly or day rates or, or creative strategists or copywriters or whatever. Um, so, I, I keep a database of those people. I just I simply ask people what their rates are, uh, mm-hmm. and those rates vary. And as I work with them, uh, you know, if your rate is on the higher end and you're more experienced, I I estimate what I think. I, I learned this early on, which is like I would just say, "Hey, work on this," and now I give people goals. I say, you know, here's this. I think you should be able to get to here by here. Let me know if that seems unreasonable, but that's what we're, that's what we're shooting for. Um, cause some mm-hmm. of them don't know how to manage their time. So you give them goals, but my expectations, you know, a person who costs twice as much should get twice as much done. It's, it's a very simple math. Um, and I try to match those things up, but I have people in a range of price points and, and mainly, basically they've got to return value to me at kind of the same rate that works for the project. Right. Well, and it, if it all works perfectly, then everybody's happy at the end. Everybody. Right. Indeed. And are you bringing the, the other thing. animators in or the other creatives in on the with the in the conversations with the client, or are you just sort of handling the client and everything is going through you? Everything goes through me. And in general, yeah. even with agencies, when they have an account manager or a creative director, a single point of contact. And I also encourage that client side. Single point of contact is always yeah efficient. Yeah. or as few as as what yeah okay well that's really interesting and Declan I feel like I can ask you a zillion questions so maybe we'll have to continue this conversation offline or at a further episode but you know before we end I want to I want to ask you I know you um, teach and I know you teach um, the new generation of animators you know what's on their minds these days like what's one of their top things that they're really into oh man I would say it's impossible to generalize uh, <laughs> uh, do I want to do that? I love generalizing. No, I'm just kidding. I hate generalizing. But um, it's okay. it's well. So I'm, I'm incredibly <laughs> fortunate that an opportunity came up to teach at NYU, and I, you know, I've been reading some books on college teaching to talk about discipline problems and attitude problems. And we have so much the best and the brightest, you know, like if I was scared before I went in, I'm like, oh, I have all the students like me. They're really eager to please and they're hardworking and they're creative and they're talented. And we just have, I've now done four, I'm finishing four sections total uh, over a couple of terms. And every time it's just been a really great bunch of students. So uh, like I've like, like, like that's just really great. The other thing is uh, one of, one of my co-professors there said, it's shifted. The pendulum kind of swings back and forth at NYU between film school and trade school and some mix thereof. I feel like a couple decades ago, or when I wanted to go to film school, my dad thought that was a bad idea. Film school was definitely art school. You know, like you were going to go do something mm-hmm. creative and impractical. And the need for content out in the world is such that motion graphics is a viable career these days. There are whole, mm-hmm. you, know, art, you know, design schools are cranking people into jobs. So you have this 
mix of people with grand ambitions, you know, who, you know, want to be making Pixar films or, uh, I'm blanking on a Kubo and the Two String Studio name right now, but like who have those kind of ambitions and those who are also just like, I want to be a storyboard artist and I want to like, right. I, I need to. I need to know what it also takes to get into the business and work, and 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 they're they're much more practical. I think I think they're more pragmatic. So it, it really runs and the gamut. Ma- yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. They're also good. good. Well, no, because we are running out of time, and I don't want to. I, I I hate to cut you off, and I'm really sorry, but we are running out of time. Um, but it sounds like the students really run the gamut, and um, it, you cannot generalize like I wanted you to. So I'm sorry to put you that in that position. But Declan, you've been a fantastic uh, guest today. And how can people get in touch with you? Uh, the website is perpetualmotiongraphics.com, and the email is simply Declan at perpetualmotiongraphics.com. That works. Right. Well, that's been phenomenal to talk to you today. And um, everybody, you know, you can get in touch with us at uh, Jody and Liz at letsgetradical.org. We are on Facebook um, backslash Let's Get Radical. And we, um, you can always, you know, hit us up on iTunes and Stitcher. We have a long list of archives. And, you know, anything else, Jody, we should say? Yeah, we need some love. Leave us some reviews at iTunes. We, it we really, need some reviews. Yeah, it really helps get the word out about our show. Um, and, you know, we love hearing from you in terms of our guests. So feel free to drop us a line around that. And Declan, you know, thank you so much for, for being here. Um, you have a lot of wealth of you have a wealth of knowledge uh, about freelancing. And um, so I hope to uh, we get to do this again soon. Um, I guess that's all. Hey, so we will... Talk to you all next week. Take care. Thanks so much for tuning in to Let's Get Radical. Please join Liz Gold and Jody Paydar again next Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This week, it's time for you to get radical. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.